I think by far the hardest sermon of the year to preach is a Good Friday sermon. For there's really not much that can or even should be said. So I want to offer here less of a sermon as, as, and more perhaps some prompts from this gospel reading we just had for meditation. I want to look at just a couple of places before we get to the cross itself. And I want to begin in the garden where the gospel reading starts, which is a clear reference to the Garden of Eden. It is a return to the place where this all began. And notice who all has been gathered here in this garden of Gethsemane. It is like the end of a mystery novel when all the main characters and all the suspects have been brought together in one room to go over the case. For everyone, everyone is represented here in the garden, in the place of the original crime. God is here. In the person of Jesus. The second person of the Trinity is here. He has come to earth for this moment. John says he is in the garden, which is a place where Jesus often met with his disciples, reminiscent of God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. God is here. Perfect Pre-fall man is here, once again, in the person of Jesus. He has come once again to face the temptation that Adam succumbed to. In Jesus' original temptation in the wilderness, it says that Satan left him for a time. And the church has always seen the Garden of Gethsemane as the place when, certain, when Satan returns to tempt him before he goes to the cross and tell him once again, you don't have to do this. Don't do this. His greatest temptation, it is taught, came in the garden. So perfect, the second Adam, the perfect pre-fall man, is here in the garden. Satan is here in the garden. Judas is called the betrayer. And the last time we see Judas before the garden was in John 13 in the upper room. And the last word spoken of Judas before this moment is that Satan entered into him and he left the room. So Satan is here in the garden. And fallen man is here. We see them in the disciples and in the soldiers, the chief priests who are gathered here. People who are following or are afraid of the accuser, the betrayer, Satan, who is there. People who stand in need of redemption. God has gathered all the interested parties here. And he is in control 
of this situation. And where are we? Where do we stand here in the garden? On Easter, we will see ourselves with God, identified with Christ in his resurrection. Today, on Good Friday, we are led to see ourselves on the other side with the disciples, the soldiers, the chief priests. Perhaps we are like Peter, warriors for Jesus in all the wrong ways. Warriors for our own version of how things should go and how Jesus should do things. For Peter clearly sees this as the opportunity. Now is the time when Jesus can rise up, defeat the oppressors, overthrow the institution that is keeping people down. Now's the time to fight with our own strength, with our own weapons, in our own way. And Peter was wrong. The soldiers and chief priests are similar, though they do not claim to fight for Jesus. They come with lanterns and torches and weapons. It is somewhat laughable that they brandish their weapons at the maker of the universe. But it is less laughable when we raise our own strength and abilities against him in an attempt to use them for our own purposes instead of his. But it is not the weapons I find most striking to me. I find the lanterns and torches most convicting. In a moment, we will read Herbert's poem, The Sacrifice. And one of the lines that has always struck me most forcibly in the poem is the line, how with their lanterns they seek the sun. Here stands the light of the world. As the garden scene here harkens back to the first garden scene, we remember that it is he who brought light into the world. Yet the soldiers come stumbling under the light of human artifice, human wisdom, human knowledge. We cannot laugh at their stumbling because how often do we lift up our own feeble intellect and understanding, our own experience as our guide. Yet it is because we do this and we have done this so often because we lift up our own strength, because we lift up our own experience or understanding. It is because of this that Jesus submits to these stumbling soldiers. In John, it almost seems like he makes them arrest them. We almost see him putting on the handcuffs himself. He takes the initiative when they come. It says he strides, he walks towards them and says, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And they fall back. And he says again, who do you seek? 
And they have to say it again. Jesus of Nazareth. This I am he. Here I am. And they have no power over him. It, it, the picture is that he's making them do what they are there to do. And it's because of our sin that he is doing this. Notice the concern for his disciples. I have told you I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. But this kindness is not rewarded by the disciples having Jesus back. For we see Peter's denial shortly thereafter. I wondered this week why we have that story. Why is that recorded? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us the story of Peter's denial. Those men were Peter's friends. They were his co-workers. In Mark's case, Peter was his mentor. If it was someone I loved, someone I was close, with, close to, someone who had mentored me, I would be very hesitant to include the greatest moment of their shame and give that to all posterity. I would not want to share that with people. But they all do, and Mark intensely so. One assumes that it is done with Peter's approval. In fact, I can hear Peter maybe regularly in his public sermons telling, this is my story. This was my moment of great shame. This is what I did. Perhaps it is because Peter knows that we all face the same temptation, maybe less dramatically so, but we all say, face the same temptation. We are all tempted to distance ourselves from Jesus when it becomes inconvenient to be his disciple. When it becomes uncomfortable to be identified with him, the temptation is to dis put a distance between us and him. To say, oh, he's a, he's a good person, but I'm not really going to be a radical. I'm not going to be someone who really fully identifies with what he tells me. To make our following of Christ a lesser thing. So that we look better in the eyes of those around us or to give up on it when something that we cherish or love feels threatened by following Christ. Peter knows we all face that temptation. He wants us to know I was there too. Peter also knows that the fruit of the cross is offered to all who will repent and seek forgiveness. For Peter was forgiven. And his sin was not so great that when he repented of it, 
he did not find acceptance and forgiveness and the grace of God. And Peter wants us to know that that is there for us as well. Even for our moments of greatest shame. And with that, we come to the true object of our meditation today, the cross. That instrument of torture and death that is made for us to be the tree of life. And here there is little more that I can say. For our proper position now is to kneel before the cross in penitence and gratitude. So I'd encourage you now to take a moment of meditation before the cross of Christ.